0: Animals Today Radio is made possible in part by a generous grant from International Society for Animal Rights, ISARonline.org. Welcome to Animals Today, your home for a serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirschner. So as of January 1 of this year, 2016, it became illegal to import or sell Australian kangaroo skins and products in California. Now, a little history behind that. In 1970, then-California Governor Ronald Reagan banned the trade of kangaroo skin products. The ban stayed in place until 2007 when a moratorium allowed the sale of products such as meat and gloves made from kangaroo skin, and the moratorium expired at the end of last year. Now, this ban covers importing, possessing with intent to sell, or selling kangaroo parts. Violators could face fines up to $5,000 or as long as six months in jail, and a spokesperson from the let's see, California Department of Fish and Wildlife says this enforcement will fall mainly to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services.
1: So, Lori, this goes back to the to Reagan, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay, so he signed a law, just to be clear here, that, that banned the sale and import into California of kangaroo products, which are the skins and leather and meat, right? Correct. And then sometime later there was a moratorium placed on that ban permitting commerce to continue, which is how how it's been for a while. Right. And then finally, at the end of 2015, it at the beginning of 2016, it was reinstated. That's when the moratorium sunsetted or ended, and now it's back in place. That's right. right. Okay. And now I read that there were some last-minute efforts by some legislators in California That's to right. try to get sneaky here and to to allow it to uh, remain, but they failed and it never came up for a vote.
0: That's right. Do you know that California is the world's largest market for soccer cleats and many of which are made with kangaroo leather? Yeah.
1: It doesn't surprise me that we have a big market for soccer cleats, but uh, I don't think a lot of people know that kangaroo leather is involved in that pretty much of a shame.
0: And there's you know, so there's alternative products. We don't need to do this.
1: I know our shoes have been without any animal products for a long, long time right, you now. Right. And, you know, the Australians themselves are conflicted about the killing of their iconic or so-called iconic animal, the kangaroo. It's really a shame what they do to get these animals, to kill these animals. Do you know how this happens? No. Well, basically they are not herded and they are not raised uh, domestically. They are basically just shot on the open range. And they go out around the whole country in the evening and they they shoot them. They shoot the wild animals. I heard commercial shooters kill millions
0: of kangaroos each year in what is the largest land-based commercial slaughter of wildlife in the
1: world. That's right. So there are rules about what they are supposed to do and allowed to do, and they're supposed to shoot the kangaroo cleanly into the brain to kill it instantly. Of course, we know that that often doesn't happen. The estimate is at least 100,000 bad kills per year.
0: Yes, the Australian National Code of Practice, which I read too, Mm -hmm. advises advises that hunters shoot kangaroos through the brain to ensure immediate death. Yes. And this is done in the evenings.
1: Right. And it goes further than that. The female kangaroos, many of whom have juveniles or joeys still in the pouch. Uh, joeys are baby baby kangaroos. Baby kangaroos. They can't fend for themselves and uh, the hunters are supposed to find these juveniles and kill them either by chopping their heads off or striking them on the head or, or shooting them, right? That's correct. Yeah. It's horrible. And so there's a lot of painful, slow dying related to this uh, really cruel industry.
0: And Peter, I read that if the kangaroo is shot, but they miss the head, that the animal's just destroyed afterwards because their pelts, if their pelts are blemished by the bloodshot, their skins can't be used.
1: This all happens under the cover of darkness, and people really don't know what's, what's going on. And as I mentioned earlier, it's highly controversial, even in Australia. So I have to applaud, go back to Ronald Reagan. He really was a visionary here. And uh, I think California these days is better off just saying no to this horrible practice and the products derived from kangaroos. Exactly.
0: Now, Peter, there's also a conservation element to this. Population surveys conducted in 2014 showed dramatic declines in kangaroo populations of around 50% across all areas surveyed, and this was in the Australian states of Queensland and Western Australia in particular.
1: So the populations are at risk. They're going to start killing off their whole population. That's right. Tragic. And this week's other big story, comes from Ringling Brothers. Uh, they have decided to retire all their elephants currently touring by May of 2016. This is a really quite a surprise. Earlier in 2015, they announced that by 2018, they were going to r- retire these elephants, obviously after a lot of pressure, ordinances banning their touring, etc. But they've just been able to move up this date and let them... Uh, Retire to the Center for Elephant Conservation near Orlando.
0: Yeah, that's great, Peter. And as you stated, I think they were really starting to feel the heat, not only from animal rights activists, but from the general public as well, right?
1: I agree. Not only was it the sustained uh, pressure and the legislation, but knowing that there are other animal-free circuses that are just doing beautifully, like the Cirque Circuses, it really is facing reality.
0: Right. And I'll tell you, last year, Kenneth Feld, whose father bought the circus in 1967 and who now runs Feld Enterprises, insisted that animal rights activists weren't responsible for their decision and told the associate press, quote, we're not reacting to our critics. We're creating the greatest resource for the preservation of the Asian elephant, which I find funny that he's implying that their decision is based on in concerns for
1: conservation. You know, he says a lot of things and family, Feld family members do say some interesting things, right? Keep in mind, however, that the other animals are still going to be touring the lions and the tigers and, and the, the, the horses and, and the, the camels and, and dogs too. Yeah. No, no change there. So we'll, uh, so we'll keep the pressure up. Now, there is another interesting uh, twist to this having to do with cancer research. Did you hear about this? No, tell me. Okay, so this is being uh, put out as a sort of accompanying story when you read about these things, and that is, it turns out that the Ringling Brothers Center for Elephant Conservation, which was founded uh, 20 years ago, not sure what they've been doing over the years, but they are co-authors in a recent paper that studied the blood of elephants. And the other uh, researchers came from the Huntsman Cancer Institute, which is in University of Utah, and Arizona State University, and also from the uh, zoo in, in Utah. And what they discovered is that elephants have extra copies of a tumor suppressor gene. So there's a naturally occurring tumor suppressor gene called P53. People have two copies of this, and its job is to deal with Pre cancer or cancer cells when they develop and prevent cancer naturally. Well, elephants, it turns out, rarely, rarely get cancers. And you would expect, as large as they are and as many cells as they have in their bodies, 100 times more than people, that they would be getting cancer all the time. Right. Well, it turns out that they have 38 extra copies of these tumor suppressor genes, and this was recently published in JAMA, of all places. So Ringling Brothers is reminding the world that they were somehow involved in this research and we all should look at them gratefully, I suppose. Yeah, they're doing such good for our society, aren't they? Yeah. Regardless of their actual value to this research, it is fascinating. And I had never heard that elephants don't really get cancer. Very interesting. Okay. And Laurie, since we're talking about animals in captivity, which we oppose... Uh, no matter the size of the animal. I'll just add these brief stories. SeaWorld has suspended what they call their beluga interaction program at SeaWorld Orlando. That's the program where you actually can get in the water with these belugas. It's not clear why they've done this at this point, but hopefully they will keep it under suspension. I didn't know you can swim with belugas, not very nice. And then an attempt to keep a great white shark in an aquarium in Japan did not go very well. This shark died after only three days in captivity. You know, you never see sharks like great white sharks in Aquaria. That's because it is well known that they cannot survive there. This one died after only three days. Not surprising. Attention, world Please uh, stop trying to put great white sharks in tanks, right? It's tragic. Right.
0: Okay, don't go away. More with animals today right after the break. ¶¶ is Dr. Lori Kirshner and I want to thank you for joining us on Animals Today. Each week we explore the wide variety of new and important issues concerning the welfare and rights of animals, how people treat them, and where they fit in society. From whale protectors risking their own lives on the open seas, to lawmakers fighting to pass legislation to assist animals, to kids volunteering at their local shelter, Animals Today provides timely and in-depth analysis and interviews with experts and advocates from around the world. To listen, join us every week on this station, listen on iTunes, or go to Animalstodayradio.com, where you can access and listen to all the prior shows. And like us on Facebook and share your views. Much of our financial support comes from the nonprofit group Advancing the Interests of Animals. That's ai So check them out. This is Dr. Lori, and thanks for listening. <laughs> Hi, this is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and I want to thank you for listening to Animals Today. Make sure to visit us on Animalstodayradio.com, where you will see all our previous shows and where you can download them free. That's Animalstodayradio.com, or you can listen on iTunes. Also, make sure to like us on Facebook and join the discussion. Animals Today gets a lot of its support from the nonprofit group Advancing the Interests of Animals. Please visit them at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. And I hope you'll consider making a donation to help pay for the ongoing broadcast of Animals Today. Each week on Animals Today, we strive to bring you the highest quality, most up-to-date information about all animals, how we treat them, and their place in society, while promoting greater respect and kindness towards them. So thanks for your support. That website, again, is aianimals.org. And thanks for listening.
2: So you and your family have decided to get a dog or cat. We think that's great. And we want to remind you to adopt your next companion animal instead of buying. That's because shelters have so many loving dogs and cats waiting for a home that it just doesn't make sense to buy a pet from a breeder or pet store. And sadly, over half of all animals that enter shelters are killed. That's millions per year. So when you adopt your pet from a shelter, most likely, you really are saving a life. When you go to a shelter to adopt your new dog or cat, you will find many wonderful choices for your new family member. And please tell your friends and family to visit the shelter when they are ready to get a new dog or cat. Ask anyone. When you adopt an animal, you'll have a loyal friend for life. And you'll feel pretty good, too. This message is presented by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at AIanimals.org and on Facebook. That's AIanimals.org.
3: Hey folks, it's Dana here. I want to talk to you a little bit about our power grid. Now, it's no secret that the administration has literally declared war on the coal industry. And the result is that the cost of electricity is skyrocketing right past the record rates we already have. Now, ultimately, I believe these policies are going to create real shortages of electricity. It's like Obamacare, but with the power grid. And it gets worse. Experts say that our power grid continues to remain unprotected and vulnerable, which is why I want all of my listeners to be able to produce their own supply of electricity. Listen, I believe that it's time to prepare. You should always prepare and be prepared, especially with any coming problems concerning the power grid. So do what I did. Get a solar generator from Solutions from Science. They run quietly, emit no fumes, and produce an endless supply of electricity from the sun. Go to DanaSolarBackup.com to learn more. That's DanaSolarBackup.com. Use coupon code Dana to get a special half-price offer. DanaSolarBackup.com the
4: IRS money? Do you have years of unfiled returns? Has the IRS garnished your wages or put a lien against your house? The IRS has the power to make you pay back what they claim you owe and will stop at nothing to collect. If you are losing sleep over your IRS tax problem, there is a solution. Call Signature Tax now. Speak with our professionals and feel the weight of your tax burden lifted from your shoulders. Call 800-859-9446 for your free and confidential analysis on ending your tax nightmare. We can help get your life back on track and give you the fresh start you deserve. Our A-plus BBB-rated tax resolution team has over 125 years of combined experience to get you the best deal possible while stopping the IRS dead in their tracks. Call Signature Tax now at 800-859-9446. Call 800-859-9446. Again, that's 800-859-9446. 800-859-9446.
0: Welcome back to the show. In January, a federal court rejected plans from Wildlife Services to increase the killing of wolves in Washington state. Now, the judge ruled that the proposal by Wildlife Services was incomplete and did not have data to support their assertions regarding the need to kill wolves in response to wolf livestock conflicts. Now, if you're like me, it's very hard to follow the the ups and downs and regulations and practices related to legal and illegal killing of wolves and the role of wildlife services. Hopefully, we'll get a little better understanding just ahead. Now, just the other day, five conservation groups filed a petition requesting that wildlife services extend their monitoring of gray wolves for another five years to allow management practices to be further evaluated. Wolves have a somewhat negative reputation. I, of course, think they're just beautiful and majestic. In fact, around the country, there are more than a handful of wolf rescue conservation education centers. And I'm very pleased to welcome now Darlene Kababal from one of my favorites, the Colorado Wolf and Wildlife Center, where she is president. The Colorado Wolf and Wildlife Center is in Divide, Colorado, which is two hours from Denver, an hour from Colorado Springs, or an hour and a half from Breckenridge. And they are an AZA approved facility that you can visit. Welcome to the program, Darlene. Thank you. Glad to be here. Darlene, as I mentioned before, it's very hard for anyone who does not follow wolves carefully to keep up with issues related to their management in North America, and in particular, the changing regulations and the laws and all the the legal Mm -hmm. skirmishes. Can you Mm -hmm. give us an overview on the main conservation issues and the conflicts between ranchers and wolves?
5: Yeah, well, doing this, you know, every day and through the last, know, 24 years of doing this, it's, it's. you know, we watch and see if there's, you know, it, it changes with whether it be with wildlife services to the public, you know, and, and, you know, they've got it documented that there's at least 70% of Coloradans that, you know, want wolves here and we need wolves here and we haven't had a wild wolf pack in our state since 1945 when the last one was shot. And so... You know, you don't have to be a biologist to know that it takes predator and prey to make a balance. Matter of fact, if you looked at Yellowstone of what it looked like uh, before we brought an apex predator like the wolf back, it was it was a complete mess. And you know, you bring the wolf back, and everything starts to go back into balance, like it should. You right. Said, you know the. Uh, um, y- trees, plants, trees, shrubs, wildflowers, beavers, you know, the the whole ecosystem got back the way that it should. And so, you know, here in Colorado, our population, like other states as well, um, the deer population is out of control. Our elk population is seriously out of control. We have over 300,000 elk just in the state of Colorado, which is about 100,000 more than our state can support. And the purpose of, of wolves is to keep everything in check and in balance. And, you know, when you get too many ungulates, such as your deer, your elk in an area, they can destroy a lot of the habitat. And the purpose of the wolves is not only to keep that herd population into check and balance and keep the healthy ones there, but it's to keep that herd moving and, and, you know, from area to area so they are not destroying that, that area of habitat that's there. And, and everything is a chain onto each other. And unfortunately, uh, it's another battle, uh, you know, against, you know, uh, wildlife services and, you know, uh, the public and, and different organizations that are wanting to get wolves back into our state because we need them here. And it just simply sometimes comes down to, If you don't have the wolves, you artificially inflate the deer and elk populations and you sell more hunting permits. And that's not what it should be about. It should be about a lot of people look at Colorado as a beautiful, beautiful state. Look at the things that we have to offer. And a lot of people come here because of the wildlife. Well, you you go into some of the stores and you see, you know, moose, you know, where you can buy different souvenirs, and there'll be moose and bear and the main popular ones. And every once in a while you'll see a wolf and it's like, well, no they used to be here and uh, but they aren't any anymore and we're trying to get them back here because this we can sustain a, a couple three packs here in Colorado and we we certainly need them here um, so that's what our argument is, and there are ways to coexist with ranchers. We, it has been done for a long time. It just depends on the rancher and if they want to be able to work together. But there's so many, it's, it can be very biased, and there are so many things that is, is wrong with this whole picture about where wolves you know, could survive and, and thrive out there. They're not going to come on a back porch and, and eat the school children. They're not going to eat all the, the one of the remarks on the hearing was, eat all the bunnies. It's like, really? <laughs> and and right. eating all the deer and the elk so we have nothing to hunt. And it's like, you know, if you've left nature alone, it, they've managed everything quite well. When we step in and try to manage things, we do it for our own needs and for our own profit. And that's all it comes down to is profit. And I think one of my argumentative points would be, um, if if you see the amount of money, the billions of dollars that goes into Yellowstone, why do you think people, you know, go there? They go there because of not only the beauty and the things that you know that it has to offer, as far as the geysers and things like that, and the and the buffalo. But a lot of people go there to see the wolves. What if you had? You want to talk about you know the tourism and bringing dollars into Colorado? Put a a, a wolf pack in an area where you could go out and listen to wild wolves. And you want to see what your tourism dollars would do in Colorado. It would far exceed any rancher hunter license. And I'm not against hunting as long as you're, you know, do it respectfully and ethically and you're, you know, you're hunting something that you can eat. But the fact of going out and killing something for a thrill kill or something totally against that. And there should be a balance with that. There is a season with deer and elk. Um, there is no season when it comes to wolves in many states where you can kill them pregnant. You can kill them with pups. You can do aerial hunting. Aerial hunting is where you take a fixed-wing plane or a helicopter and you see a pack there and literally blow away the whole pack. There is, and that's what they call management, and they're, they're taking away the parents. They're taking away part of that pack, which is a family. That family is a unit pack, that stays together and works together as a pack. It is okay as well to bait the wolves out of the park. The park the, the wolves have no idea where the boundary lines are at, but a lot of people don't realize they go to Yellowstone thinking the wolves are thriving in the park itself they are. But a lot of people don't realize that it is legal to be able to bait a wolf by a, piece, a carcass or a piece of meat or even puppy sounds and as soon as that wolf puts one paw out of the state out of the park there they're in the crosshairs and they are being killed. And and then they have a, a law as well. They're again talking about if, if plan A fails through, there's a plan B, you can kill a wolf, uh, even if it's protected, with a big gigantic radio collar because there's a thing called the McKentrick Law. A McKentrick law is all you have to say is, Oops, I thought it was a coyote and you get by with that scot free. Mm, mm. So it's like there to me it's like where is the protection of wildlife? If to me, if you are saying that you are parks and wildlife, then protect the wildlife and not the ranchers. You know, I mean, it shouldn't be parks and ranchers. It should be parks and wildlife and and wor- work together to protect these animals. And I think that's what we do here at our center is trying to educate people, educate people about why we need wolves in our ecosystem, how they, uh, how they make it, spelling some of the myths and how they make a balance. They are a top predator there. They keep their, their pack in check, and they keep you know the, the prey-predator balance in the check as
0: well, too. Very good. Darlene Kabobel with Colorado Wolf and Wildlife Center. What's your website? It is uh, the www.wolfeducation.org. Darlene, thank you.
1: Rita. You look upset.
3: I am, and I'm not sure what to do. My neighbor's dog is tied up outside. He looks very skinny and sick, and I never see food or clean water given to him.
1: You need to report this right away. What do you mean? You should call Animal Services or the police and tell them about the abused and neglected dog. They can help to make sure the dog is properly
4: taken care of.
3: Okay, I can't stand to watch him suffer anymore. What's the number?
4: Even though
2: most of us take good care of our pets, not everyone treats dogs and cats with the care and compassion they need To be safe and healthy. If you see that a dog or cat is not being treated properly, report it to animal services or the police right away. Pets need food and clean water and protection from extreme weather. You can make the difference and you don't have to give your name. Help stop pet abuse and neglect. Be their voice. Make the call. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. There is no getting around it. The great outdoors isn't so great for your cat. From speeding cars to toxic lawn chemicals, coyotes to cruel humans, cats are no match to the dangers of today's world. The good news is animal behavior experts say cats don't need to go outside to be happy. Your family will be happier and healthier, too, without the ticks, fleas, diseases, and the dead critters the outdoor cats bring their owners. And you will never have to explain to a crying child who or what hurt her pet or why he hasn't come home cats can enjoy a happy and safe life indoors the key is to provide attention exercise and a stimulating environment play with your cat it's fun for both of you you can hide toys around the house too Just make sure there can be no detachable parts that can be swallowed. You can protect your cat from becoming a tragic statistic. Tomorrow may be too late. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at www.aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org.
3: I want to share with you an email that the Purple Heart Foundation received from one of my listeners. They write, I became aware of your group via The Dana Show, and hearing Dana speak favorably about your group, I did a bit of research, and many things looked good, especially third-party company reviews that rate charity givers. It also brought me to investigate one of the military service groups I've been giving to for a number of years, and I realized that my money would be better given to the Purple Heart Foundation. They write, I plan to keep Purple Heart Foundation on my list going forward. Unfortunately, not all veterans organizations are the same. The Purple Heart Foundation is committed to helping all veterans and one of the biggest challenges that they face, veterans claims. The Purple Heart Foundation's offices and service members nationwide are dedicated to helping veterans receive their benefits. Call 888-414-4483. That's 888-414-4483. They take many forms of donations, but a cash donation has the most immediate impact. All donations, 100% tax deductible. Visit PurpleHeartFoundation.org.
6: I'm Bob DiRigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. A monkey, an animal rights organization, and a primatologist walk into a federal court to sue for infringement of the monkey's claimed copyright. Sounds like a joke, right? But it's actually a line from a real court document filed by a lawyer for a photographer who was sued last year by the group People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. To make a long story short, a monkey in Indonesia took a picture of himself using a camera that a nature photographer had left unattended. It was hilarious, and the monkey's selfie went viral. Unfortunately, that's when the real monkey business started, and PETA sued the photographer. It claimed that the monkey, not him, should get any money generated by the photo. Let's be fair. I know our legal system sometimes seems like it's gone bananas, but I'm happy to say that a federal judge has just issued a tentative ruling upholding common sense. He says that a monkey can't own a copyright. PETA, however, pledges to keep fighting. Learn more. Visit our website at centerforamericatv.org.
7: According to the FBI Uniform Crime Report, there are over 5,000 robberies every day. Your home could be at risk of being burglarized. Don't put your loved ones and valuables in jeopardy. For just over a dollar per day, your home can be protected from break-ins, fire, and more. Get the latest home security technology from Protect Your Home, your ADT-authorized dealer. Over 6 million households sleep better at night with ADT-monitored home security. What's more, Protect Your Home is offering you their latest equipment, an $850 value, absolutely free for qualified customers. Protect your loved ones and home today. Call now for licenses and to find out more. The call is free, 1-800-261-3620. That's 1-800-261-3620. Again, 1-800-261-3620. $99 installation charge, 36-month monitoring agreement at $36.99 per month, payment by credit card or electronic bank account charge. For new homeowner customers with satisfactory credit history only, local permit fees may be required. Certain restrictions apply cannot be combined with any other offer.
0: Welcome back to the show If you have companion animals and human kids at home, one of the trickiest or most delicate things you may need to deal with is helping your children understand and cope with the loss of one of their pets. Of course, every family is different and every child is different, but there are some useful guidelines we should be familiar with as the family goes through this process. I want to welcome to the show Dr. Sandra Grossman. Sandra is Certified Pet Loss and Bereavement Counselor and Vice President of the Association for Pet Loss and Bereavement and co-owner of Pet Loss Partners. Welcome to the program, Sandra. Thanks, Lori. Thanks for inviting me. Sandra, most of us adults had to experience the loss of a beloved companion animal, but how is it different when there are children involved and the family pet is about to die or does die?
8: It's so important to, to include children as much as possible. Very often, the loss of a pet is really the first loss that we experience. And so being able to go through the loss in a good and healthy way is going to allow children as they grow up and have to face other losses in their life to be able to face those losses in a healthy coping way as well. Do
0: you find most children get through this successfully? Are they pretty resilient?
8: I think that parents or, or, or the people who are the role models are really important in the way they handle it. For instance if If a mom or dad lose a beloved pet and allow their children to see them cry and see them feel sad and then and then see them begin to cope with it, that's really healthy and children will know, hey we've lost somebody important to us, and it's okay to feel sad and it's important, it's okay to grieve you know if for instance a a child, you know a family loses a pet. And the child says, oh, I really miss, you know, Fluffy. And the next day, the dad comes home with a new Fluffy, so to speak. It's almost like saying it's not okay, you know, or or yeah. you don't, you just go get another one. It's that whole replacement society that we try to stay away from. Right. Or if a child cries because they lost their dog or their cat, and the mom or dad says, Don't cry, don't cry. It's part of life. You know, we don't cry over those kind of things. Then a child, as they get older, may think, you know, it's not okay to cry when you you go through a loss. So it's
0: important for parents to talk to their children about pet loss and allow them the time and go through the grieving process.
8: Right, and to see the parents go through them. You know, it's okay to cry in front of a child.
0: And depending on the age of the child, I'm sure there must be different ways parents should approach these issues.
8: Yeah, absolutely. And also, it's important to, to know just like there's no set way that everybody's going to go through grief, it is the same for children. So I'm going to give you some examples of, of what to do or not to do at certain ages. But that being said, you know your child best. And and you know how they react best. So you may or may you may need to adjust this. Um, for instance, one thing that we always tell parents not to do when especially when the child is younger, is you don't want to say that the dog or cat or whatever the animal was was put to sleep. Children at that, that age are really literal and so if they hear Again, you know, Fluffy was put to sleep And all of a sudden he doesn't come home You know, he's taken out and he was put to sleep They're going to be afraid that Uh-oh, if I go to sleep What's going to happen to me? Am I not going to come back? Am I not going to be with my family? Oh, that's
0: a great point
8: Yeah, so it's really important And and however, you've talked about death If you want to say Fluffy was sick and, and he's in heaven now Or, or however, you know Children, like really young, say two or three, they don't really understand what death is. For, for children, really young, drawing is a good way to let them express their feelings or what they think has happened. A lot of times kids will, you know, draw pictures of pets with, with angels on them, and that's okay. Yeah. You know, when, when they get to that preschool age, and, and depending on, again, on the relationship. A lot of times, too, they don't understand, they know what death is, they don't really understand the permanence of it, and so they may say, when is he coming back, and you may have to talk about that. If they were really close to him, you may see problems, like like maybe if a child's going through potty training, they may kind of regress a little bit, or if there may be sleep problems involved, so it's important to look for that and a lot of times again because they don't understand what death is they may think that maybe Fluffy died because they forgot to give him treats one day so it's important to let children know that it wasn't their fault and just reassure them that the family unit is intact and that nothing's gonna happen to them And, and then as they go into start getting into middle school uh, they they start hearing a little bit more about death, and, and they do know that it's irreversible. But again, you may see certain behaviors, so if Fluffy died and, and, you know, you may find them being a little bit more clingy and asking a lot of questions and really wanting to know. And again, it's going to be based on the individual child, but you kind of deal with what you think they can handle. So, but you may see a lot of children, maybe, you know, seven to 10, asking a lot of questions. What should
0: parents do or say to their human children in anticipation of a companion animal's death?
8: You know, and and again, that's a a really good point too. You may want to talk to your veterinarian to see because different veterinarians will handle things different way. I think it's important. To let a child know, and and often you know, especially when they're a little older, when they're seven, eight, nine, they can see that that the dog or cat's getting older. They can they know you know you're going to the vet, and again, it, it's based on the individual child what you want to tell them or how much you want to tell them. If they say is you know Fluffy going to die, you can say well he's very sick and we're trying to do. Everything we can to help them. If you're going to have to have the the pet euthanized, and you let the child know, they may say, you know, I want to be there, and you may want to explain a little bit what's going to happen. Again, I really suggest talking to the vet about what they think and how they handle it. A lot of vets, veterinary practices today, have grief rooms, so they don't do it in a sterile setting. They'll actually have a kind of low lighting room with couches and a rug and sometimes they'll bring the pet into the room and on the rug or on the couch. And that's a more comforting setting. There are some also some good books out there that, and and I really recommend um, getting a book and and especially, you know, if a child is seven or eight and they're younger, you can read to them more if they're seven, eight, ten reading with them, you know, um, when they're adolescents, adolescence is a, a hard time anyway. They're trying to figure out who they are, what life's about, but they may be more, if they've developed a strong bond, especially you hear a lot, only children, you know, will think of that pet as their brother or sister, and they may really want to be there. Yeah. And I think it's important to allow that as long as they understand in terms of that they get, Sandra, are memorials helpful exactly and and that's such a helpful way to help I think no matter how old the child is, whether it's a really young child, and they just you just draw pictures with them but to allow children to maybe write something or draw something and, and decide, are we going to bury the pet? Is the pet going to be cremated? What do we want to do? How do we want to do? Do we want to get balloons and write messages on the balloon and make it a family decision and, and something you do together as a family? You could even create a scrapbook together. Sandra, any final comments? I think it's really important that people understand that children know a lot more than we give them credit for. There's a wonderful story that a vet wrote about, and he talked about being asked to come to a family's home to euthanize an old collie. And when he got to the home, there was a four year old little boy, and the mom and dad had decided that they wanted the little boy to be present. And so The vet went about getting the the dog ready, and the parents were very teary, and and the little boy just sat there watching, and the procedure happened, and again, the parents were really crying, and the little boy just went over to the dog and was looking at him and patting him, and he gave him a hug, and the parents were sitting off to the side and talking, and they were saying, you know, well, he probably really doesn't understand what's happening here and then the parents started to talk to the vet, and they said, well, why why is it that animals have a, such a short lifespan? And the little boy at that point turned, and he said, well, I know. And, and obviously the parents and the vet were pretty surprised because they didn't even think he was paying attention. And they said, why? Why do you think that's true? And so he said, well, when people come to Earth, they have so much to learn. They have to learn how to live a good life and be kind and to love people. But when animals come to Earth, they already know that. So they don't have to stay as long.
0: What a sweet story. Dr. Sandra Grossman, I know you're also available for telephone consultation. How can my listeners reach you?
8: Sure, absolutely. They can either email me at sandy LA like Los Angeles at com, or they could call the number there which is 818-421-1516 and I'd be glad to speak to them about children and pet loss or anything else related to pet loss and to let you know that we also do workshops for different organizations on these topics as well.
0: Pet Bereavement Counselor Dr. Sandra Grossman, thank you for your expertise. Absolutely. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and I want to thank you for joining us on Animals Today. Each week, we explore the wide variety of new and important issues concerning the welfare and rights of animals, how people treat them, and where they fit in society. From whale protectors risking their own lives on the open seas, to lawmakers fighting to pass legislation to assist animals, to kids volunteering at their local shelter, Animals Today provides timely and in-depth analysis and interviews with experts and advocates from around the world. To listen, join us every week on this station, listen on iTunes, or go to animalstodayradio.com, where you can access and listen to all the prior shows. And like us on Facebook and share your views. Much of our financial support comes from the nonprofit group Advancing the Interests of Animals. That's AIANIMALS.org. So check them out. This is Dr. Lori, and thanks for listening.
7: If you're living with diabetes and have Medicare or private insurance, here are some great news. Call United States Medical Supply today and we'll send you the smallest glucose meter in the world, absolutely free. So small, it fits right on the bottle of strips. And if you call now, we'll also send you this stylish full-featured meter at no charge. That's two free meters. You can keep one in your pocket and leave the other one at home.
1: You can even hook it up to your computer so your doctor can track
2: your results. United States Medical Supply also delivers prescription medication
7: right to my door, so I don't have to go to the drugstore anymore. Don't let diabetes get in the way of living. Give us a call today at United States Medical Supply and get the smallest meter in the world for free. Call today.
6: 1-800-897-8374. That's 1-800-897-8374. Call 1 800 897 8374. That's 1 800 897 8374. Call 1 800 897 8374 today.
4: And now, The Lens of Liberty. Here's Helen Krebel.
8: The real strength of America is our unity. The motto, E Pluribus Unum, is on all our currency and coins, and it means from the many one. America is not just a place, it's an idea. The idea that ordinary people can govern themselves. Americans are a diverse people, but we are united because we believe in the principles of individual freedom, personal responsibility, and free enterprise. We should guard our freedoms jealously and examine all government proposals through the lens of liberty, always asking, will this make us more free or less free? When we don't, we saddle ourselves with so many taxes, laws, rules, and regulations that we lose something of utmost importance, our freedom.
4: The Lens of Liberty is brought to you by the Vernon K. Kreeble Foundation.
1: Hello, I'm Jerry
9: Mathers. I was the beaver in Leave it to Beaver. When I played the beaver on TV, I often got into trouble without even meaning to. Well, years later, after I left Hollywood, I got into real trouble. My blood sugar was through the roof. When I was diagnosed with type two, I was shocked. Now, the very same natural remedies I use to control my type two diabetes are available for you in a super easy program called the Diabetes Solution Kit. If you have diabetes, I urge you to try this step-by-step plan. It has all the natural techniques I used, and it works a lot faster, too. And today, you can try this fast and easy solution without risk. I'm Jerry Mathers, and if I can do it, you can do it, too.
4: If you'd like to normalize your blood sugar and stop taking your diabetes medication completely with your doctor's approval, go to JerryMathers33.com for your free video. That's JerryMathers33.com. Reverse your diabetes in as little as 30 30 days by going to jerrymathers33.com now.
0: Welcome back to the show. Did you get your flu shot this fall? I know Peter did, and since it always seems to make me sick, I elected again to decline. Either way, fortunately, it doesn't seem that this is developing into a bad flu season, at least for people. But I came across an item about flu in dogs, something I wasn't aware of. And this year, a highly contagious strain of flu is spreading across the nation. Dr. Robert Reed is with us. Robert is medical director of ECA Rancho mm-hmm. Mirage Animal Hospital in Rancho Mirage, California. Welcome back to the program, Robert.
9: Thanks, Lori. Good to talk to you.
0: Thanks. So dogs get the flu. I wasn't aware of that.
9: That's right, yeah, canine influenza virus um, has been around as far as we know for 10 years, maybe a little bit longer. Uh, We know of two different strains. Um, One has been around since about 2005. The one that you spoke of was just identified last year, last spring, Um, and it's been moving around the country in patches. We've seen it pop up mainly in urban areas. Um, it's possible that it's more widespread than we know because a lot of dogs that get it may not be diagnosed with it and they may recover and never be, it may never be tested for a flu virus. But we do think that it's spreading and that it's becoming more of a concern. It's interesting though, um, canine influenza hasn't really been around long enough for many dogs to have developed immunity to it. So essentially any dog that gets exposed to it is Is going to contract the virus. And and probably from what we know, about 80% of those are going to get sick to some extent. But the, the degree of illness varies a lot, kind of like it does with people who have the flu. Some of them will only have mild symptoms like fever, maybe not eating, nasal discharge or runny eyes. Coughing is a big symptom. But a few of them, and this is probably Five to eight percent of those that, that develop symptoms, a few of those will, will get pneumonia or more significant symptoms, like some people might develop severe symptoms from the flu. Based on the t- statistics that we have right now, which are fairly sparse, less than one percent of them would actually die from symptoms associated with the flu. And we don't really know for sure, um, but it's probable that dogs. Certain types of dogs may be more vulnerable than others, like with people, dogs that have other health problems uh, that are of advanced age, may have compromised immune systems. They may be more vulnerable to the more serious symptoms uh, than others, and so we might take more precautions, such as vaccination, uh, with those types of animals.
0: Are certain breeds susceptible?
9: We haven't really found any correlation with certain breeds, but as you, you might have guessed, our, our understanding of canine influenza viruses is, is still evolving. I think there's a lot that we, we don't fully understand. And, and it's easy to see how, how dog owners might get a little confused and frustrated with some of the information that comes out on it because it's not, not always precise and not every veterinarian agrees on the degree of risk that each pet faces. But I think it's fairly safe to say that dogs who have other health issues who are living in or traveling to an area where uh, canine influenza has been diagnosed or has been prevalent, those dogs should probably seek vaccination and do whatever they can to prevent uh, developing the disease or at least developing severe symptoms of it. And, And also it might be reasonable to take precautions against exposure Just like you would, uh, like a person would if they were concerned about picking up the flu. In other words, a dog, uh, an owner of a dog may want to keep them away from areas where a lot of dogs congregate and may avoid uh, shows, uh, boarding facilities, grooming facilities. Not necessarily because any area is particularly high risk in itself, but those dogs that visit those areas may be contagious and you wouldn't want to expose your dog to dogs you don't know if you can avoid it. Uh, Unfortunately and frustratingly, the dogs seem to be most contagious when they just get the disease, so they may not have many symptoms. You may not even know that a dog that you're around has the, the flu virus, and so you want to be especially careful in taking your dog around unknown areas where dogs congregate particularly if you have a dog with other health issues. How is it transmitted? The same way that it's transmitted with people uh, through sneezing, casual contact, even from surfaces, handling surfaces. The dogs are usually going to pick it up by breathing it in or licking the virus, uh, but fairly easy to catch. It doesn't require direct transmission, but pretty close contact. The virus doesn't survive well in the environment, so you know, a surface that's been recently contaminated or direct contact to a sneeze or a cough is usually the source.
0: So taking my dog to the dog park, that would be a low risk?
9: I think taking your dog to the dog park is a moderate risk, because there's gonna be casual contact enough where uh, virus transmission could occur through a sneeze or a cough. So I think dog parks, when there's an outbreak of flu going on, or if you knew there was an outbreak of flu in your community, your area, you probably want to avoid dog parks.
0: And what's the treatment?
9: The treatment is supportive like it is with flu for yeah. people. There's mm-hmm. no specific treatment to kill the virus. You're generally going to use um, fluid therapy when a dog is dehydrated, antibiotics if they develop a secondary infection, and most of it is just nursing care.
0: So when should I worry?
9: There are, there are statistics available now that suggest that canine influenza has been diagnosed in california and in many other states both strains of canine influenza in california have been diagnosed and if you knew that it was present in your area you'd probably want to take notice and take measures to protect your dog through vaccination if you were going to be traveling to an area where you knew that those outbreaks were occurring if you follow the media reports in that area then you can get your dog vaccinated but to be honest, you know, vaccine against, vaccination against flu is available to any dog in the same way that people can get flu vaccinated. Some people choose to do that. Some don't for reasons of their own. And the same is true with dogs. If you're a person that likes to be particularly cautious about exposure to such viruses or, or contracting diseases, then you can get your dog vaccinated for, for, feline, or for canine influenza. And I think that's a good idea. But many people are more comfortable with risk or they have a healthy dog. They may not have the same comfort with vaccinations that others, uh, and they may choose not to. Personally, I think the vaccines that are available are safe and effective, and they're the best that we have right now.
0: How about cats or other companion animals? Do they get the flu?
9: You know, um, this virus that we see in the U.S. has never been demonstrated to transmit to any other species. There is a canine flu virus that's been identified in Asia that, in some cases, has been transmitted to cats. But in fairly specific circumstances, it's never been shown to happen in the U.S. with the two viruses that we know to have that we know we have here.
0: Dr. Robert Reed, thank you. You're welcome. Hi, it's Dr. Lori from Animals Today Radio, and here is your Animals Today fun fact for today. Do you ever wonder why your cat bumps their head against you? Well, that unexpected butting of her head is known as head bunting. And this is your kitty's way of bonding with you. She is identifying you as one of her friends and head bunting is her way of sharing her love and affection. And this is your Animals Today fun fact for today. Animals Today Radio is made possible in part by a generous grant from International Society for Animal Rights, ISARonline.org.